Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Hello brethren, God bless you We've been having a wonderful study, and I've been sharing some testimonies with you, and I'd like to continue with that. Um, let's pray. Ask the Lord to be with us. And Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you, Lord, to grant us the grace that we need to perceive your kingdom and your ways, Lord. God, our soul cleaveth to the dust, as the scripture says. We it's so natural for us to be the way of the world, but um, your ways and your principles are so much higher than our ways, and yet you've given us this grace, Lord, that we can walk out of the kingdom of this world and walk into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And um, we ask you, Lord, to help us to understand the principles of the kingdom, that we might walk in the kingdom. Uh, the supernatural principles that help us to walk above this world and to be preserved in this world. Uh, Father, we ask you, Lord, to have mercy upon all that are listening and uh, bless them to perceive that they were created for something more than this world and uh, more than being in bondage to the principles of this world. And um, thank you, Father. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And obviously we are children of the last Adam, Jesus Christ, uh, a new creation man meant to live above this world, meant to walk in his ways and in his steps. We've been talking about the the first fruits the witnesses, those that are alive and remain. And uh, we came to a question here in our last meeting was that um, the main difference between the first fruits and the two witnesses, the first fruits goes through their wilderness first. They go through their wilderness and they learn to walk in the principles of the kingdom, basically what the wilderness is all about. Moses was the first fruits. He went through a 40-year wilderness before he overcame to bring God's people through their own wilderness. And Jesus went through a 40-day wilderness before he overcame to bring um, God's people in his day through their wilderness. And uh, we, we spoke about what the wilderness actually is. You know, the wilderness is available to every Christian worldwide. It's not some geological place that we go to. It's a place in the Spirit. It's a place where we no longer depend upon the world. And the principles of the world uh, were instead ruled by the principles of the kingdom. And um, we no longer trust in the world for our sustenance, our salvation, our healings, our deliverances. We, like the Israelites who uh, left Egypt, 
could no longer depend upon them or the flesh pots of Egypt. You know, they were trust, learned to trust in the living God, or should have. Well, basically, folks, that's just a type and a shadow for us. We're going to just such a place. It's not physical, it's spiritual. And I want to tell you that everybody who walks by faith goes into the wilderness. Everybody who walks by faith in the commands and promises and principles of God automatically gives up salvation by works. You understand that salvation was for the whole man, spirit, soul, and body, and circumstances. And that the promises of God were meant to save us totally outside the principles of this world and to save us in all those those ways, spirit, soul, body, circumstances. Um, God already made promises of this. In fact, there's, there are promises that kind of catch all everything. You know, uh, For instance, Mark 11 and 24. Let me read it to you. Therefore I say unto you, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, and that covers everything, right? Believe that you received them, past tense, and you shall have them. Why does Jesus tell us to believe that we've already received them? Well, obviously because everything that has to do with the salvation that the Lord gave us is past tense. You know, uh, for instance, in First uh, Peter 2.24, it says, who in his own self bear our sins. Notice that's past tense, because it happened behind us, right? Who in his own self bear our sins in his body upon the tree, that we, having died unto sins, might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Again, past tense. <clears throat> we notice that, that all of the principles <clears throat> that had to do with the sacrifice were past tense. You know, uh... Ephesians 2 and 8, by grace, have you been saved? That's what it says in the original, it's past tense. By grace, have you been saved through faith? That's not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Have been saved. Colossians 1 and 13 speaks of Jesus delivering us out. You were delivered, past tense, out of the power of darkness. You were made free from sin, Romans chapter 6. So reckon yourself to be dead unto sin. Again, Romans chapter 6. You see, folks, when you realize that the Lord has already done this, there's nothing you can really do in yourself to bring it to pass. You have to walk by faith in the fact that it's already accomplished. You are already healed. You are already delivered. You are already blessed. You are already provided for. All of these things were accomplished at the cross. And uh, we enter into the rest, the New Testament rest, which I'm sure many Christians don't know about. They think that it's a Saturday or a Sunday. But no, folks, I, I can tell you that the only place we're commanded to keep that Sabbath, it's a totally different word. It uses, for instance, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, let us fear, therefore, lest happily a promise being left of entering into his rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. See, the promises cause us to enter the rest. You know why? Because the promises are past tense. 
And when you believe them, you have to stop your working to try to bring them to pass. The Bible says that we who have believed, verse 3, do enter into that rest, even as he has said. When we believe these promises, we enter into the rest. You cannot do anything to get healed if you believe that you were healed. See, the reason men run to man to get healing is because they don't believe Jesus already healed them. But I'm telling you something that I know. For the past 30 years, I've been getting healing because I realize that I don't have to get healing. I don't have to accomplish healing. I don't have to do anything to bring it to pass. All I've got to do is thank God for it. See, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He still heals everybody that comes to him by faith. Did you notice in the Gospels, everybody that came to Jesus got healed? Well, we have to come to him by faith now. But he's the same. If you accept what happened at the cross, and that is that you were healed, then there's nothing can keep you from getting his healing. So, down in verse... Um, Chapter 4 and verse 9, it says, There remaineth therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The word Sabbath there is the word Sabbatismos. It means a keeping of rest. It doesn't mean a day of rest. This is the Sabbath that remains for the people of God. It's a keeping of rest. Every day we have to rest from our own works. We have to cease from our own works every day. There remaineth therefore a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For he that hath entered into his rest hath himself also rested from his works as God did from his. God doesn't want our works. He doesn't believe in salvation by works, whether you're talking about your spirit, your soul, your body, or your circumstances. It's not by self-effort. The Apostle Paul taught us in uh, in Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 12, that the Lord said unto him, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Do you understand, folks, that when we get out of the business of trying to save ourselves, God's very powerful to do it. Paul spoke about the things he went through in the previous chapter. You know, a lot of people want to say that the um, the thorn in the flesh uh, was his eyes or whatever, you know. But actually it, it tells us that it is a messenger of Satan to buffet him. And he tells you exactly what the messenger of Satan did in the previous chapter, chapter 11. And what's he talk about? Well, he talk, talks about uh, hungering and thirsting and cold and nakedness and and um, beaten with rods and stoned and uh, in journeyings and perils of rivers, perils of robbers, perils of his countrymen, all these things, all these situations he was getting into. And you know what? In his weakness, God was made powerful. He called it his weakness in verse 29 of that chapter. Who is weak and I'm not weak, and who is caused to stumble and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory in the things that concern my weaknesses. Well, folks, we need to do the same thing, because it worked for Paul. 
It didn't seem like it mattered whatever situation he got into. The Lord delivered him. And now I tell you, there's a lot of Christians today that get into situations and they don't seem to get deliverance. Second Timothy 3, listen to what Paul said. But thou didst follow my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, patience, persecutions, sufferings, what things befell me at Antioch and at Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Why is that? Because he was weak. He wasn't trying to save himself. He gave himself into the hands of God, and he gave up his own works, basically because he believed the promise of God. You know, it didn't end there. I mean, uh, next chapter 4 and verse 17, it says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. The Lord will deliver me from every evil work and will save me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. When he meant save, he meant save like the Bible uses the word. The word is sozo. And the word sozo is used for salvation like I was saying, spirit, soul, body, and circumstances. The word sozo was used for deliverance from demons, for healing the body, for soul salvation, for saving the disciples when they were in the boat and the and the wind and the waves were sinking the boat. They said, save, Lord, and he saved them. And and so Paul's using that word in the the way that the Hebrews used that word. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work. Do you believe that? See, we're going to a wilderness now, folks. You can you can enter into it by faith, by trusting in the promises of God, because God cannot fail you if you believe in his promises, or you can be forced into it with the church in the coming tribulation. I'm telling you, if you walk by faith now, you're walking into that spiritual wilderness. I started sharing with you in our last meeting some testimonies that the Lord gave me, He told me many, many years ago, he said to me, I'm sending you through a wilderness so that you can tell my people that I still supply there. And I want to tell you, folks, he has proven that to me. He put me in a position of weakness. I started telling you how that he wouldn't wouldn't let me. Of course, I saw it in the Scriptures. He wouldn't let me take up offerings because they only took up offerings for other people in the Scriptures. They didn't take them up for themselves. None of the disciples did that. Uh, He wouldn't let me tell my personal needs. He wouldn't let me store up my treasures upon earth. He wouldn't let me borrow money, you know. He wouldn't let me sell things. He wouldn't let me take any government benefits. You know, he put me in a position of weakness, and yet, through all of that, I've never, I haven't worked for man, and I haven't taken any worldly benefits. And God has sustained me, paid for everything all the way through it. He put me in a position of weakness. He put me in a wilderness, basically, that has nothing to do with a physical wilderness. And he's never failed to meet our needs. I shared with you last time how that um, I raised five kids. Um, They didn't know doctors. They didn't know medicine. 
they didn't know anything but the power of God. And um, God always preserved, always fed them. I told you one time my kids, the Lord put a fast on them. I mean, it wasn't their doing. And uh, it was one of those trials, you know. But, you know, for all of these years, God has faithfully met our needs, fed us, paid our bills, made sure our lights stayed on, our gas stayed on, so on and so forth. He's been totally, totally faithful. And I want to tell you that the wilderness is not as bad as you've heard. Uh, yes, we are all going into a wilderness, but it's one that God made, and he made it for our good. He is separating us from the world. He is behind the mark of the beast. He is behind the beast kingdom to force us into this coming wilderness. The whole world's going to hate us, going to separate from us. We won't have the help of Egypt, just like Israel didn't have the help of Egypt. We're going to be thrust upon the mercy of God and the grace of God. And the only thing we really need to be sustained is to repent of our sins and believe his word. And when we believe, it will put us in a position of weakness, but also in a position where God is prone to answer. You know, I want to tell you, I want to continue with a few testimonies. I want to share one with you. You know, we got, in our walk of faith, we got into places where God tried us. You know, Paul talked about hungering and thirsting. God brought him to the place where he was tried. But notice, he didn't starve to death. <laughs> he he, uh, he overcame in the trial. God did the same thing with the Israelites. He brought them to a place of lack to see if they were going to walk by faith or they were going to complain. Uh, sadly, they, they failed God as the natural man always does, you know. Uh, but, folks, we have something new in the New Testament. We have a born-again experience. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, some people are going to go through this wilderness like Joshua and Caleb. They're going to be victorious, and they're going to be walking in the steps of Jesus Christ. Well, anyway, um, I was I think I was getting ready to tell you the last time before we ran out of time how the, the Lord actually multiplied food for us. And um, I can remember one time in particular that we'd run out of everything in the house except spaghetti. <laughs> we had some spaghetti. So my wife basically made a, a pot of spaghetti, and uh, we we prayed over that pot because we didn't have anything else, but we weren't even considering that God wasn't going to bring any more because he'd been doing this for us for quite some time. And, uh, you know, after a while, you know what happens when you get tried over and over and over and you see that God's faithful when you hold fast to your confession and hold fast to the Word? You enter into the rest. You don't even worry about it anymore. You just rest in Him because you become hardened to your flesh. You become hardened to the world. You become hardened to temptation. Tribulation worketh patience, the Bible says. It's a good place that we're going, folks, and you're going to enjoy it. Matter of fact, I've enjoyed the tribulation. The tribulation is trial on the flesh, but it's so neat to see God being a personal God and loving you enough to look after everything. And he really wants to do that. He doesn't want to share his glory with man, and yet that's what he's been having to do. 
you know, with his people because they always run to the world. They always run to Egypt and its methods and its ways, you know. Well, anyway, my wife um, cooked up this pot of spaghetti, and it was a fairly big pot, but it was about three-quarters full when we blessed it, and um, and uh, we started eating, and we probably ate that pot down to lower than half way, and we didn't think about it. We just shoved it in the refrigerator, and uh, next day we got it out again, and God had filled that pot back up again. I mean, everything we'd eaten the day before was back in there. And my wife took the lid off the pot. She looked down in there, and I looked down in there, and she said, David, do you remember that the spaghetti was was down to here? <laughs> yeah, she made a mark on the side. I said, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> the Lord had put that, put it all back in there, folks. You know, God is awesome. You can't get anywhere where he can't supply. Think about those Israelites. I mean, look, he brought them water out of a rock, folks. And uh, I've actually seen the pictures of people that believe that they've discovered this this rock. I saw the pictures of the rock, and um, the water table actually had come up above the the ground of the desert there and gone up into these rocks and come out of this rock up in the in a pile of rocks. You know, I thought, that looks impossible. But there it was, and all the water markings there and everything. God can bring you water in the middle of a wilderness, and he can bring you uh, taxes out of a fish's mouth, and he can bring you flesh out of the sky and bread out of the sky. Now, our God, if he can bring several million Israelites through a wilderness like that and feed them, just think what he can do with us who are filled, actually filled with his spirit. Well, anyway, um, we had quite a few really good experiences like that. I had another one that I thought was more, even more awesome, and this one made me realize that you just can't get anywhere where God can't feed you. You just cannot get anywhere where God can't feed you. And that is, we come to another situation like that where we had run out of everything in the house. And... Um, and my wife said, well, what are we going to do? I said, well, you know the Lord set us here. He says, yeah. I said, you set the table, and we'll go sit down at the table, and we'll eat, you know. So she set the table, and uh, myself and and uh, and her and our five kids sat around the table with these empty plates. And I prayed a real simple prayer, the only kind I really know. And... Uh, I said, Father, uh, you sent us here, and we're asking you to please fill these plates or fill our tummies. That's just the way it came out of my mind. You know, I'm sure the Lord put it in there because he wanted to show me something, you know, because he works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. So uh, the prayer no longer got out of my mouth hardly than um, I looked around the table, and my oldest son, was, I think, was the first one to speak, and he said, Dad, I'm full. I don't need to eat. And um, pretty soon another one said it, and another one, and another one. And then I realized I was full, too. And I thought, isn't that something? You know, the Lord didn't have to multiply anything. If he multiplied anything, he multiplied it in our stomachs. But um, he filled us all up sitting there at the table. I thought, you know, if God can do that, you can't get anywhere where he can't take care of you, you know? And that's the truth, folks. I mean, if if our God will supply our every need according to his riches and glory. It has nothing to do with the economy. 
the surroundings, if you're in a desert, it has nothing to do with any of that. God made the promise. He's the one that stands behind it, and he will take care of you. I remember quite a few times we prayed for, for certain things. You know, I, I remember one time in particular. Now, we talk about weakness. Let me tell you something about weakness. There was a time, one time I decided, I decided, wasn't the Lord, but I decided, I was going to grow some tomatoes. See, really, God didn't call me to grow tomatoes. He called me to study the Word of God and and go out and share it with his people. And uh, so I just decided, well, I'll take this hobby on. I'll plant some tomatoes. My, I have a, a house here under a lot of big oak trees, and we don't have any, any sunshine in my yard except for one place. And um, so I, I I got a bunch of five-gallon cans, and I planted these tomatoes in these five-gallon cans, and, you know, I did them upright. You know, I, I learned to study a little bit how to do them. And I, so I, I got them so I could move them, you know, as the season went on, the, the sun would move, and I would move these pots if I had to, you know. The thing was, lots of little tomatoes popped out. But they didn't hardly get to be any size at all before the birds just came and took them all away. And I said, and I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, why'd you, why'd you let that happen? The Lord said, I didn't call you to plant tomatoes. That was your idea. I've got other things for you to do. Now, now get about what I told you to do. And, uh, so I did. Yes, sir. You know, and, um, you know what happened next day? I didn't say anything. I didn't, uh, we never told anybody our needs whatsoever. But there was a, a lady that was acquainted with us who was going to a local uh, tomato farm to get her tomatoes for her family. And uh, when she was out there picking these monster tomatoes, she, the Lord spoke to her and said, I want you to pick a bag of these for, for David Eels. I said, okay. So she bought me a, a great big bag of the biggest, most luscious-looking tomatoes I've seen in a long, long time. I couldn't have grown anything like that, you know. And, and you know, what the Lord was just kind of rubbing my nose in it, you know, when this lady brought these the next day. I didn't say anything to her, but the Lord put it in her heart. She brought them by. And uh, I thought to myself, you know, I really couldn't have done anything like that, Lord. And And basically the Lord showed me that I had to come to that place of weakness before he would do this miracle. And he kept, he's always done miracles like that. We, you know, I mean, I remember one time that, uh, we prayed one morning. We needed certain things. We've done this many times, but if we prayed one morning, we asked the Lord to send us poultry, send us mayonnaise, and send us cheese. Those three things. Didn't tell anybody, didn't tell a soul. You know, this is the way God gets the glory. If you go out, you know, I remember, uh, I remember I had a, a brother that was um, an elder in the church with me many years ago who, who used to be a part of the prosperity movement. And um, they would go out there and brag about what God was going to do. You know, they would tell everybody, I'm believing God for this or I'm believing God for that. Well, pretty soon somebody would feel like um, they see their brother in need. They, they need to have compassion on them, right? So they would bring it to them. But, hey, God don't get any glory like that. When you ask God for something, just believe him. Just believe him. And uh, then when it comes, boy, he gets the credit, you know. Well, you know, we really didn't tell anybody about this, but 
that day and the next day, all three of those things came. Literally, we had a friend that was going out of town, and she had this great big jar of mayonnaise in her refrigerator. She said, she didn't want to leave it there. I don't know why. It was just her mayonnaise. I didn't understand that, you know, but it didn't make any difference. So she brought us this big jar of mayonnaise because she was going out of town. And uh, another person brought us uh, a turkey, the poultry, and uh, the cheese. It was specifically what we'd asked from God. You say, would God do that for me, David? I guarantee you God is no respecter of persons. He is a respecter of faith, but he's no respecter of persons. He won't do anything for me that he won't do for you. I'm just trying to teach you how to be weak and to exercise faith at the same time so that you're in this ideal position in the wilderness to see miracles from God. Well, We've got so many of these over the years, I've forgotten most of them. But I can tell you that he consistently met our needs, and we saw many, many, many miracles. I I remember one time, I like to share this because it just tickles me. I've shared it many times about how that my children all wanted to go camping one day. You know, when I was a kid, I I did so much camping, I I had enough of it. You know, I like my bed, you know. But they wanted to go camping, and, and I was making up excuses, you know. But one thing wasn't really an excuse. I mean, I told them the the, the woods that they wanted to go to, uh, I had been back there with my kids before walking through the woods, and I told them, I said, there's nothing back there to start a fire with, and, and really we don't have any permission to cut down any of those trees back there or anything like that, you know. Oh, Daddy, you know, okay, okay, okay. So I gave in, and we decided to go. We packed up our tent and so on and so forth, and we took off into the woods, out in the middle of the woods. And we picked a campsite that was in a little opening in the in the woods, and uh, there was a, a tree down there. There wasn't many trees down in these woods, you know, but there was a tree down there. We set up our tent, and I sent out the kids to go to go and uh, bring firewood. Well, they, they went out in the woods, and everything they saw was rotten and, you know, little twigs and branches and bark off of trees and things like that that drug back and... Uh, I said, that stuff just just makes smoke. It doesn't really make fire, you know. And uh, so I sent them out again. And um, the, the 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 floor of the woods was just covered with leaves. Everything was covered with leaves there, you know. And I, I walked a little bit away from the camp. I was kind of praying, asking the Lord to provide for us. And I actually told my kids before we going back, I said, the only thing I hate about going back there is no place. There's no wood back there. There's no place, nothing to use for burnt, uh, for a fire, you know. And we can't cut down other people's trees, you know. So I walked away from the from the tent just a little bit, just a few feet, you know, maybe 20, 30 feet. And uh, as I was walking, I came across this little lump on the ground, you know. It was just a, a lump in the, in, the, in the leaves, actually, and kicked it as I walked through it and hit something solid. So I backed up and I raked all the leaves off, and, and there was a, a pillowcase on the ground, and I pulled the pillowcase back, and, and there was a Poland chainsaw on the ground. And I thought, wow, isn't that something? So wouldn't it be something that this would crank, you know? Because we had a tree down right there by the campsite. There wasn't many of them down in that in those woods, you know, but there was one right there by the campsite. And I, and I thought, wouldn't it be something that this crank? And sure enough, it cranked. And we cut up plenty enough wood to to have a really good fire, the whole time we were there. 
And I tell you, when I when I did that, when that thing cranked and I cut that wood up, I got to thinking. I says, "I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me. I repent." Because I said, "You basically couldn't supply us with wood back here, and um, and would, there wouldn't be a way to cut it up." God, out in the middle of the woods, God had somebody plant a chainsaw back there waiting for us. Because you see, God sees the end from the beginning. He doesn't dwell in time. He has no problem meeting your needs. He will have it there when you get there. That's the neat thing about God. See, he answers before we call because he can have our provision already there or he can manufacture it. It makes no difference to him. See, God has already got people preparing for what's coming, folks. He's got me preparing in one way. He's got other people preparing in other ways. There are people that are preparing... uh Communities out there for you to go to, places of refuge, you know. Now, God didn't call me to do that. He called me to multiply the fishes and the loaves. You know, Jesus, Jesus basically, um, he brought the disciples into the wilderness. They translated the same word desert. He brought them into the wilderness, but he multiplied the food there. See, basically, Jesus was raising up disciples. He was showing them. He was the teacher. He was showing them, this is how you do it. And they went off into their tribulation, the book of Acts, and they repeated what they saw. The man-child, who was Jesus, was um, was God's provision in the wilderness. Nothing's changed. God's going to do it again. He's just going to repeat it with a larger group of people, but he's going to do it again. I remember one time my uh, my little girl. I call. I taught my kids. We prayed for everything. You know, since we didn't really have a big worldly income at the time, um, we prayed for everything, and God brought it. You you try it sometimes. You don't. You can have a good income and still. I did this back before I started my full time ministry. Uh, we would. We decided we were going to stop using money for the things that we need, we're going to start praying for it. We started praying for it and saw God just do miracles. We would use the money for his kingdom. Things that you normally would use money to buy, we would just stop and pray for it, and God would bring it. And, uh, you know, there's different ways you can enter into this wilderness, but all of them give you confidence that when you get out there, God's going to be there and he's going to supply your needs. So I've been teaching, I've taught my children this, you know. You know, to, to pray. If you need something, pray for it. Put faith in God and it honors Him. It builds your faith, you know, and so on and so forth. So, I had my daughter come to me one day. My youngest daughter. She was very small. And, um, she, um, basically she had a, a, a swimming pool that had cracked up the year before and wouldn't hold water anymore. Her son had cracked it up. One of these small wading type pools because she was just a little baby, you know. And she said, Daddy, uh, she brought me a, a Sears catalog, and she said, Daddy, I need a swimming pool. And she started looking at the, in the catalog, and I said, well, Daddy, you know, you know where we get in, everything like that, don't you? And she says, yeah. She says, well, you pay for me for one like this, you know? Well, you know, God can give you something better than what you pay for, can't he? Can't he? So we prayed. She looked at one, and we prayed, and we agreed in faith that God was going to bring that, that swimming pool. And, uh, you know, I think it was a week 
maybe two weeks, but I think it was only a week later that we were all in the house here, and uh, there came a knock on the door, and my wife went and answered the, the door, and I heard a lady's voice, and she said, I, I'm looking for... I'm looking for two little boys that have come down and cut my grass. I live about five blocks from here on the other end of the golf course, and I, I'm looking for these boys that cut my grass. And, and and then she looked past my wife, and she saw one of my boys, and she said, oh, I see I found the right place, you know. She was looking, but didn't, you know, just from my boy's general idea, it's amazing that she found us, actually, because they didn't really give her a good description of where we lived. So, But the Lord led her right to our door. And uh, she said, I'd like, I'd like to uh, make a proposition with you boys. She said, um, I've got this swimming pool. And it was, it was a nice one. She said, it's, it's still in the box. It's in, still in the boxes. It's an above ground pool. It's a, I think a three and a half foot pool. It's got the filter and it's got the, 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 uh, the ladder and it's got the pump and it's got all everything that goes with it. Everything's already it's still there, she says. And I bought it to exercise. I was gonna set it up in my garage and exercise in it. But I decided I'm not gonna do that. So if you'll cut our, cut my grass a couple of times, I'll give that to you. Well boy, they were just happy to do that, you know, and and uh they did. They cut the grass and they set the pool up and they just had a good old time in that thing for several years. And of course um Jennifer, my daughter, she was just overjoyed to see God answer her prayer that quickly. Kids don't get over that, folks. They just remember that. You know, it comes back to them. Even if they go out in the world, you know, they remember that God is real and that he keeps his word. And um one day that'll God will use that on them to bring them back. Well, anyway, we we had a a tremendous life like this. You know, we didn't have a lot of money, but the very fact that we didn't have a lot of money made us depend upon God. And in depending upon God, we got to see these awful miracles, awesome miracles. You know, uh, we never borrowed money. That was one other thing that God did to put us in a position of weakness. You know, we didn't, we didn't borrow any money because the Bible promises in, um, in Deuteronomy 28, it said, they shall lend, but they shall not borrow. They shall lend unto many nations, but they shall not borrow. And, um, you know, uh, Romans 13 tells us that, um, owe no man anything but love. And um, so we took God at his word. We figured if we don't borrow, again, we're weak, but God will be strong. If you can't borrow money, then God can come through. And I got some tremendous miracles to share with you concerning not borrowing and uh seeing God answer. The Bible you know, the Bible teaches against suretyship. And uh I know that uh you, you say, how could it be that we would not mortgage and that God would answer? Well I've got some answers for you and I may share them between this time and the next meeting. But for one thing, let me show you what the Bible says in say Proverbs chapter eleven. Okay? Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 15, it says, He that is surety for a stranger shall smart for it, but he that hateth suretyship is secure. 
Now, purity, if you look up the word, it actually means, the Hebrew word here, it actually means to give or to be security, to mortgage. In other words, it's borrowing and guaranteeing to pay back. Well, you know, we, we can't really guarantee we're going to be here tomorrow. And the Bible warns us against making promises or pledges or guarantees that we're commanded against that. Because uh, you can't make one hair of your head white or black. And uh, you can't guarantee tomorrow. The Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And anything that's more than this is of the evil one. Promising and pledging, we who do we think we are? God, you know? So basically, mortgaging was something that was foreign to the Israelites. He, he told them that they would lend unto many nations, but they would not borrow. And uh, actually, the Bible tells us, let me show you a couple of other verses. One is uh, Proverbs 17 and 18. A man void of understanding striketh hands. That's the way to seal the, the agreement. And becometh surety in the presence of his neighbor. A man void of understanding is someone that does this. Uh, in other words, it's not wise. I mean, I know the world does it, and I know it's a principle of the world, but also the economies of the world are all going to crumble because of it, because they're not obeying God's principles. Besides that, look how much faith God's people would have if they were put into the position where they couldn't run to the world to borrow all the money. First of all, they would see miracles. You know why? Nobody waits on God to see a miracle. They're too quick to run back to Egypt. I know for a fact. You say, well, well, how would we receive homes? Just the same way I received a home. And I know God is not a respecter of persons. The home I'm, I'm in right now, God gave to me because I refused to borrow money. And I believed him. And that's why I've got it. And it didn't cost me a thing. God is sovereign. I'll share, I may share that with you next time. It would take too long, this meeting, you know. Uh, let me tell you, share this verse with you, Proverbs 22 and verse 7. The rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. You know, when you get, when you borrow money, you're no longer a steward of what you have. It belongs to someone else. Jesus said if you don't renounce everything you have, you can't. Be my disciple. We renounce ownership. We are only stewards. But a steward who belongs to a bank is not a steward for the Lord. The borrower is servant to the lender. The rich rule over the poor. The rich rich are running this world, folks, because they've got everybody's money. You know, the Bible says and further down in this chapter, verse 26, Be thou not one of them that striketh hands, or of them that are sureties for debts. If thou hast not wherewith to pay, why should he take away thy bed from under thee? <laughs> That's kind of curious. Well, Proverbs speaks a lot against suretyship, and it gets ignored a lot. But I tell you what, I would have never seen the miracles that I've seen if I would have borrowed the money instead of learning just to ask God. You know, when God gives us such awesome promises, 
like we just read Mark 11, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you received them and you shall have them. If we got a promise like that, why would we borrow money and have to pay back for years and years in bondage with interest? God forbid the Israelites interest, mortgaging, those kind of things. He forbid them. It was when they went to Babylon that they got caught back into it. It was when, um, well, never mind, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Listen, if we can just ask God and wait on God, you think, well, well, God might not answer. Well, that's not faith. He said, believe you received them. That's not faith. Let me tell you something else. The Bible doesn't teach borrowing to get money. It teaches giving to get money. Luke 6 and 38. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. Well, I've proven that. Many, many times I've proven that. You can, you can make a living by giving. I mentioned that last time. You give and God will give it back to you multiplied. Doesn't the scripture teach it? Now, I, I shared with you that the scripture doesn't teach going under the law, but it, it does teach multiplying your money. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, He that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. He that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. See, people want to reap, but they don't want to sow. But the Bible teaches you got to sow. You give, and it will be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give unto your bosom. He said, let each man do according as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound unto you. That's awesome. All grace abound unto you, that you may have having always all sufficiency, always all sufficiency in everything. Isn't that something? Just for giving bountifully, God will make sure that you have always all sufficiency in everything and may abound unto every good work. As it is written, he hath scattered abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness abideth forever. And he that supplieth seed to the sower and bread for food shall supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the fruits of your righteousness. You see, some people uh, don't really believe this, so they're stingy and they try to hoard up. That's not the way for God to multiply it. you got to sow it. Think about sowing that one little seed and what it brings forth. It multiplies, you see. You gotta multiply it. And even if you're poor, you will have all of your needs met. I'm not talking about rich and poor the way the world sees it, but the way the kingdom sees it, you know. I mean, Jesus was rich because everywhere he went, he had his needs met. And the disciples too. They had their needs met. They didn't have any need for the riches of the world. These were just distractions to them. They had no need for that, no love of that. But they needed their needs met wherever they went, and that happened. And it happened because they were givers, not because they were borrowers. Borrowers just keep puts you deeper in debt. Giving gets you out of debt. And, of course, I'm not preaching giving to me. I'm just preaching giving, see, because I never have done that, never have, never had to, you know. 
But there have been times when, many times, when I saw that what I had would not meet my need. The money that I had would not cover my bills. And this happened to me so many times, uh, it's hard for me to give you an instance because it happened to me so many times that I would just take the money and go give it. And in giving it, it would come back multiplied. And I want to tell you that you think, well, if I give it, maybe it won't come back in time. Listen, God is not, I told you, God doesn't dwell in, t- in time. He answers before we call. When you ask him to do something, he's going to do it. So don't worry about it. This happened to me many times that I've gone out, for instance, to, to put the money in the mailbox and send it to somebody in need and gone to the same mailbox, and it was multiplied in the same mailbox. Well, you say, well, we don't give in order to receive. Listen, that's that's moot. That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. If you do give, you will receive. And that's God's promise. So what we need to do, if we want to make money, even if we don't have a lot of money, is make sure we meet the needs of the brethren. That's the most important thing is to meet the needs of the brethren, uh, meet the needs of the kingdom. You know, to spread the word of God, meet the needs of the kingdom. If we'll do that, God will see to our needs. I, I shared with you last time how that that they, they stored up under Joseph in the seven years of plenty for the seven years of famine, and Joseph was Jesus. Jesus said, "Don't store up your treasures on earth, where moth and rust and thieves break through and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven." And in Luke twelve, he tells us how to do that. He said. Give alms. Meet the needs of the brethren. Make for yourselves purses that wax not old. And you'll have a treasure in the heavens that faileth not. Faileth not. So give. And God will give to you. Probably next time I'll share with you about how the Lord made me give my house away. He didn't make me do it. He put it in my heart to do it. And when I did that, he, he gave me the house I'm in now. And... um you know, you, you, you can't outgive God. You just cannot do it. Uh, buying and selling, folks, is not the way of the kingdom. I mean, I know a lot of ministries that do that. that that's their big thing. They sell stuff and they buy stuff. But you see, we have a, a different economy in the kingdom. Why did God rebuke them in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot for buying and selling? They bought, they sold. They married, they gave in marriage. What was wrong with buying and selling? It's just not the kingdom. The kingdom is giving and receiving. You get you get a reward for giving. You get none for selling. You get none for borrowing. You get a reward, specifically, the Bible says, for giving. And the interest is much better. <laughs> he said, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Try God on this. I have. It works. He is faithful, consistently faithful. He is our surety. I learned many, many times like this. You just give. You meet the needs of the brethren around you. Don't worry about what you got left because God's never going to fail you. Never, never going to fail you. I didn't borrow any money for 32 years. From the time the Lord showed me about faith and uh, debt and how he forbid debt to his people, 
I didn't borrow any money, haven't, in those years. And you know what? The Lord has never failed. I, and I never stored it up. That's the neat thing. But the Lord's never failed to make sure we had a good car and a good house and, and our needs met. He's never failed. And you would think, well, wouldn't you have to store up the money until you... No, you don't. Because God can bring it in a lump sum. He did it to us many times. Many times. Or brought the car or the vehicle or whatever, you know. When I moved here, he bought us a brand new car. When he gave us this house, he bought us a brand new car. It didn't cost us anything. Maybe I'll share that with you next time. But, you know, it's an exciting life in the wilderness. It's not the fear. You know, it's fearful to somebody that's not a believer, of course. But don't worry about it, folks. The non-believers aren't going out in that wilderness. I mean... They're not going to go very far in it anyway. Uh, many of them are going to take the mark of the beast because they don't believe that they could live out there, you see. But it's not a fearful place. It's a very joyous place. You know, because you feel the closeness of your father. You know that he's taking care of you. You know that he's watching over everything. You know, when you pray for, you know, uh, poultry, cheese, and and mayonnaise, and it comes within the next day, you know God is very specifically watching over you, you know? And we had many such things as that. Uh, I remember one time my my youngest daughter, this, this one tickled us just really, it was something. My youngest daughter was angry because my two boys went camping and they took all the chips with them. And uh, she was back there chewing on my wife's ear back in the washroom, and my wife finally just told her, says, well, you go pray to God and, and get your own. Well, she was walking out of the washroom, walking into the the den, and there came a knock on the door. And you know what she said? No, we didn't know who was at the door or anything. She said, it's here, it's here, it's here already. That's childlike faith, you know. She, she'd made the four or five steps away from the washroom into the dining room and the knock on the door. She said, it's here already. My wife went in there and grabbed her, you know, and shushed her up, you know. And uh, the door opened. And this was a, a neighbor that lived over behind us. This is a guy that, that comes came to our Bible study at that time uh, for some years. And um, they always liked my wife's cornbread. So she had made a pan of cornbread. And um, gave it, giving it to this man to take home to his family. Well, he's coming back the next day with the pan, and it's um, it's all wrapped up in tinfoil. And he he hands it to my wife, and my wife peels the tinfoil back. Guess what's there? <laughs> Chips. <laughs> you know. Now, see, this guy had to start walking two blocks from behind us. He got to our door when she had already prayed this prayer. See, God answers before we call. He doesn't dwell in time. He's not limited to time. You can ask God for something tomorrow that if you only knew about it today, you would think it's impossible. But he doesn't. He hears it all. From the beginning of time, he's seen it all. See? And so, now this guy never knew what, what happened, you know. But, of course, and it wasn't a big thing for my little girl. My little girl was just just tickled, but, you know, 
that's childlike faith. It's here. It's here already. You know, <laughs> my wife says, shut up. <laughs> well, I tell you, that's exciting. Um, and, and God wants to do these things for us. You see, he designed the wilderness to meet our needs, to build our faith, and he's doing it through weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. We've been studying the wilderness. You know, what's the, what's the advantage? You know, what, what's the purpose? You know, um, we, we discovered that the first fruits of God go out into their wilderness ahead of the, the greater body of Christ, so to speak. And so we've been just discovering and examining what this wilderness could mean to us in our day. And one thing we have discovered is that it is a place of faith and weakness. It's a place where we live by faith, but are weak to be our own saviors, so to speak. In other words, it's a salvation that's not by works, but by faith in the Lord. And the righteous shall live from faith. Uh, when we learn to walk by faith, we are walking in the wilderness because our methods change from that of the world to, to those of God and of Jesus Christ. I'm going to start out today in um, Isaiah 43. Some years ago, when the Lord uh, started leading me in the wilderness, he, uh, he caused my Bible to open for uh, literally a couple of months. My Bible would open up to Isaiah 43. And um, just supernaturally. It doesn't normally, it didn't do it before that, didn't do it after that. But the Lord just wanted me to get a point there. In Isaiah 43 and verse 14, Isaiah said, Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake have I sent to Babylon, and I will bring down all of them as fugitives, even the Chaldeans, in the ships of their rejoicing. This was a time when God was promising deliverance to his people who were in bondage in Babylon. Well, basically, folks, that's where God's people are. They're in bondage in Babylon. They're either got allegiances with the world, because the world is one form of Babylon, right? Uh, all nations came from Babel, and even their Babylonish religion was spread all over the earth, the false virgin birth, uh, Samarimus, Nimrod, so on and so forth. Uh, was spread all over the earth. And so God's people are very much, in this day, in bondage in two ways, secular Babylon and religious Babylon. And God is calling us out of their ways, their methods, their unbelief. What's acceptable to the world is not acceptable to God. Uh, he goes on in verse 15 to say, I am the Lord, your Holy One the creator of Israel, your king. Thus saith the Lord, who maketh a way in the sea and a path in the mighty waters. Well, you know, God seems to be confusing um, Egypt, the Egyptian deliverance from the Babylonian deliverance here. But actually, they're both the same type, aren't they? So God's going to make a way in the sea. And he, as you know, the sea, uh, the Red Sea, or... Um, baptism, as Paul called it in Corinthians, he called it a baptism unto death um, in the sea, 
and a, and a baptism uh, in the spirit, in the cloud, you know. A baptism is for the death of the old man and the life of the new man, right? So God made a path through the waters for the spiritual man, the Israelite. He didn't make a path that lasted for the, the Egyptian who was the carnal man in that case. The baptism, of course, is for the death of the old man and the life of the new man. Let me read on here. He says, Who bringeth forth the chariot and horse, the army and the mighty man, they lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinct. They are quenched like a wick. Well, you know, think about it. The Egyptian represented the old man who was not to follow Israel into their wilderness. Israel wasn't to live in bondage to the old man in the wilderness. They weren't to do things with the methods of Egypt in the wilderness. And this was a type and a shadow of what we need to be in the wilderness. Not ruled by the old man. Not given to his principles. Not walking in his methods, so to speak. So God says he brought down the the chariot and the horse. You know, the chariot, the horse, in uh, Psalm 147, in verse 10, it says, that God delighteth not in the strength of the horse, he taketh no pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord taketh pleasure in them that fear him, in those that hope in his loving kindness. So he, he likens the, the strength of the horse to the legs of a man. Meaning, of course, the beast, the old fleshly beast. Uh, God doesn't want us to strength, uh, to trust in the strength of the old man, the beast, right? A chariot is a, is a vessel that's, um, that's led by a beast, that's powered by a beast. And, uh, the old man, the old beastly life, that life that was led by the beast, had to die in the Red Sea so that the Israelite could go into the wilderness and learn to trust in God alone and not to lean on the arm of the flesh, so to speak. Let me read on here. Uh, verse 18. Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. In other words, give up thinking of things when you come into Christ the way they were when you were in the world. God's going to do everything different from the way you did things when you were in the world. Now, I grant you, the church doesn't do that. The church is living in the world. It's of the world. It's very Babylonish, and they haven't escaped Babylon yet. But you see, the wilderness that's coming, the woman went into the wilderness, Revelation chapter 12. The wilderness that's coming is a place that God has prepared for the church, the very worldly church who's been living in Egypt in bondage to the old man, the Egyptians. Okay? Uh, verse 19, Behold, I will do a new thing. It's, it's new because now that you are a Christian, you are expected to live according to God's principles and to walk by faith. Now shall it spring forth. Shall you not know it? I'm afraid to say that's true, that an awful lot of Christians don't know it. I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Wow, that's awesome. A way through the wilderness, rivers, 
in the desert. And God even brought rivers out of rocks in the desert. That's awesome. God's provision is total, you know, for us who put our faith in him, right? Verse 20, the beasts of the field shall honor me and the jackals and the ostriches because I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. Yeah, the beasts represent those lost people around us. You know, uh, Solomon said every man is as a beast, right? And you remember the beast that came down on the sheet in in, uh, Peter's vision in Acts, and um, God told him, um, rise and eat, Peter, and and the Lord said, nothing unclean has ever entered my, my mouth, Lord. And he said, what I've made clean, don't you make unclean. Then he got the revelation that these unclean beasts were the Gentiles because he went to the Gentiles and preached the gospel and they received it. And he understood that this revelation represented them. So we're talking about lost people, the beasts of the field. The field, according to Jesus, is the world. Remember in his parables? The field is the world. You know what? The world trembled at God's people when they came out of Egypt. Remember what Rahab said about how that they heard the stories about God's miraculous deliverance of Israel out of Egypt and the, the Red Sea destruction of their enemies. They trembled before them. Uh, the people, when God's people become those people who live by faith in the wilderness, the world is going to tremble at them too. They're going to understand that these people have the favor of God. They are his chosen. And he goes on, verse 21, the people which I form for myself, that they may set forth my praise. Another verse I want to point out to you is in Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 5, which is very applicable to what we're talking about. God didn't want the Israelite to live in the wilderness like Egyptians. He had to put to death the Egyptians and their beasts. And verse 5 says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed is the man that trusts in man, and that maketh the flesh his arm, whose heart departs from the Lord. You know, this is just another way of saying those people who believe in salvation by works, by man's works, by man's methods, instead of the salvation of the Lord is freely given. Cursed is the man that trusts in man. Folks, That's where a lot of Egyptian Israelites are. A lot of God's people who call themselves Christians are actually have more affinity with Egypt and the world than they do with God in the wilderness. But God's going to put a stop to that because he's going to give drink to his chosen. Not just his called, but his chosen. Many are going to die in the wilderness to come, but some are going to be Joshua's and Caleb's. Cursed is the man that trusts an arm, in the arm of the flesh. Verse 6, For he shall be like a heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, a salt land and not inhabited. See, some people don't get to see the wonderful provision of God in a place where man cannot provide it, because they trust in the arm of the flesh. They're like a tumbleweed, a heath, a tumbleweed in the desert. 
Verse 7, Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord, and whose trust the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, that spreads out its roots by the river, and shall not fear when heat cometh, but its leaf shall be green. In other words, because he continues to take in the sun, right? Continues to walk by faith. And shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Those who walk by faith can go through a wilderness and have streams in the desert, waters in the desert, God's provision in the desert, because they don't trust the arm of the flesh. Uh, in verse 21, there's something I think is pretty applicable here, too. It says, For thus saith the Lord, Take heed to yourselves, and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem. Neither carry forth a burden of your houses on the Sabbath day. Neither do you any work. Well, the Sabbath day is, of course, the day we've entered into, the seventh day of the 7,000 years is the day we've just entered into, folks. And it's a day when we've got to cease from our works to do God's works. A curse came upon the people who continued to do their works on God's Sabbath. Well, we just entered into God's Sabbath. And a matter of fact, Jesus Christ is God's Sabbath. So, so whenever you've entered into Jesus Christ, you're supposed to cease from your works, whether it be the works of the law or the works of the flesh or the works of self-justification. See, God wants to be our Savior I'll tell you a little story. Almost 30 years ago, uh, God started giving me and my wife and even my children and the people around me uh, dreams and visions and uh, prophecies concerning a ministry that we were to have in Pensacola. And, of course, it's coming to pass day by day, but... Um, we had dreams. We knew it was going to come, I don't know, six or seven years before it actually started happening. And um, let me just share a couple of these with you because I, in my experience, I remember what I told you uh, last week was that God told me he was bringing me through a wilderness so I could tell his people that he still supplied there. A wilderness is a place where... There is no provision from man, no provision from Egypt or the world or our old fleshly man where God provides. And I want to tell you that you're very close to it. No matter where you are on planet Earth, you're very close to this wilderness. All you have to do is walk by faith in those promises. That's all you have to do because your provision will come supernaturally from God and not the way of the world, which is where most of the church is. They don't get the provision, the miracles, the signs, and the wonders that God's people got in the wilderness and that they get today when they walk by faith. We have to give up. We have to be weak. The old man cannot be, we cannot be in bondage to the Egyptian in the wilderness, okay? Well, we started getting these dreams about a ministry that God was going to raise up. I remember uh, one in particular, we had a friend named Ricky who um, had a dream that he had gone away from us for a few years and hadn't seen us in a long time. And he came back into our neighborhood and, and ran into our neighbor um, uh, next door. And the neighbor pointed Ricky over towards our house, and he looked over there, and, 
And here we were loading up um, a U-Haul van to move to Florida. Well, that was a strange dream, you know. And um, in the dream, uh, Ricky came over and helped us load up the van. Well, strange as it may seem, we hadn't seen Ricky. Just like his dream, we hadn't seen him in a couple of years. And suddenly he shows up, comes over to our neighbor's house. And um, our neighbor's name was Bruce. And Bruce said, Ricky, look over there. And he looked over, and sure enough, we had a a U-Haul van backed up to the door, and we were loading it up. And Ricky very happily came over and helped us. You know, he was overjoyed that he had a dream that came precisely true, you know, a very literal dream that came precisely true. Another thing he saw was that I had some papers, and on the papers he said there was a, there was a word that he didn't remember. He said it started with a P, and I said to him, pension. <laughs> he said, yeah, that's the word. <laughs> well, it actually, I told people for years that, that uh, Exxon, where I worked, was going to offer me an early uh, retirement and a pension. And uh, everybody told me I was crazy up until the time it happened, which is, is that time when Ricky showed up. Actually, they'd give it, it, it was a, a severance pay. I, I didn't, don't get anything till I'm, I don't know, 60 or something like that, I think. But um, I'm not quite there yet, folks. And I don't even know if Exxon will be around that long. But at any rate, um, I got a year severance, and it was handy to help me move. So, so this was uh, the kind of thing that prepared us for this, is dreams like this that I knew were true. My, another one was my wife had a dream that uh, we were moving to Florida and that there was just one road going to Florida. It was one solid road going forward. You know, this was really strange because in the time she had this dream, the interstate was broken in many places between where we live now and where we lived in Baton Rouge. The interstate was broken. We knew that when we moved, the interstate would be finished. Now, believe you me, everybody along the Gulf Coast was waiting for years for that interstate to finish. And everybody that lives down here knows what I'm talking about. They, they wondered, now, what are they doing? Why are they dragging their feet? Why don't they go ahead and finish that thing? Well, it was finished just before we moved over here to Pensacola. And another dream that my wife had, she saw us walking through a house over here in Pensacola with um, a, with a, a new baby. In fact, it was a, actually she was walking through the house with the baby on her hip. It was a hip-sized baby girl, old enough to, to be held on the hip, okay? So... Actually, when our baby girl that God had prophesied to us, my wife was waking up one day and, and she had had a dream. She saw a big boy and a little girl. And she was waking up and the Lord said, Justin Joseph and Jennifer Joy. All with J's, you know. And sure enough, we thought we were going to have twins, but sure enough, she, uh, uh, Justin Joseph was born. And I told her, no. It was a big boy because the boy came first. It was a little girl because the little girl came next or last. And um, so she, I finally convinced her of that. The Lord gave her, um, uh, let's see, one, uh, it was uh, 12 heads in a row is what finally convinced her that this was Justin Joseph. So when Jennifer Joy was born, we knew it was getting close to the time that we were to be moving over here to uh, Pensacola. And uh, when she was getting close to hip size, we knew everything was falling into place. Somehow or another, we knew it was going to happen. And my wife came to me and she said, 
Well, David, it's almost time. Um, you think we ought to start saving our money? <laughs> I said, no, I don't. I think we're going to continue to do what the Bible tells us to do and not store up on earth, but but um, instead just keep giving. Because obviously there's an awesome promises in the Bible for giving, folks. I mean, uh, uh, Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, give, and it will be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give unto your bosom. Since we didn't have any money, we definitely needed that kind of a blessing to come over here and buy a house and not be in debt, because, you see, we didn't believe in debt. I hadn't been in debt since I'd come to the Lord, and the Lord showed me that it wasn't right to be in debt. So I, I didn't. I never got in debt, and I got to see miracles. I think I shared that with you last time, so I'm not going to regress here. But um, not not going into debt for the last 30-something years has taught me that God will do miracles for people who put their trust in Him and obey their conscience. You know, the Bible says, Owe no man anything but love. And the borrower is servant to the lender. And they shall lend, but they shall not borrow. So I stayed away from debt because I felt like God had made me a promise. And she said, Are we going to save the money so we can move over there and buy a house? And I said, No, we're just going to keep on a giving. And later on, the, the thought came to me, Well, Lord, do you want me to sell my house? And the Lord said, no, I want you to give the house away. You know what, folks? This is how we get miraculous provision from God. Give. It's not storing up that you get miraculous provision. It's giving that you get miraculous provision because God will multiply it to you many times. That's better than storing up. There's no multiplication there, right? But um, if you give to the needs that God points out around you, God will give to you. He will give to you freely as you give freely to others. You want to get prepared for a coming wilderness? Learn to give freely. So anyway, he told me who who we were going to give the house to. We were going to give it to a a couple that we knew from years back that we hadn't had any fellowship with in some time, didn't even know where they were, did a little research to find out where they were. Literally, the Lord told me I was going to give my house to this to this couple, and uh, then we found out that they, that they lived in Houston, and that there was a big oil bust in Houston. That the oil business went flat over there, and I, when I called this couple, I've come to find out they had a company house, um, and uh, it was all paid for by their company. But when they lost their job over there, they lost their house, and uh, they and they had a company car too, and they lost the company car. So now they just had their little car that they did have and basically no place to go and nothing nothing to do. So God had prepared for them what uh, a place to live. Okay, so when I contacted them, I told them, I says, well, they told me their situation. I said, well, hey, you come live with us. And because I already knew what the Lord had told me that I was to give it to them. But I said, you come live with us and we'll see how the Lord works this out. So they did. They came and moved in with us. And um make a long story short, um, one day um, we were taking them out to eat. And uh, what the Lord had told me, he reminded me of a dream that this, this sister had years before. She said she had been out away from this area for a long time, and she came back, and somebody else was living in our house. And I never thought about it at the time. I thought, well, they didn't know, but just somebody 
somebody was living there. But suddenly it came into my mind that she knew who it was that was living in our house. And so we were driving along and um, down the road, and I I said, um, Karen, that was her name. I said, Karen, uh, remember that dream you had years ago about coming back to town and somebody else was living in your house, in our house? She said, yeah. I said, that someone was you, wasn't it? And she looked at me and says, yeah. She didn't want to make a, a self-fulfilled prophecy, so she didn't obviously tell me up front, you know. And I understood that. I understand that's the way of faith, you know. And I said, well, it was you, wasn't it? She says, yeah. And I said, well, okay, then the house is yours. And, of course, they both looked at me really strange, you know. I said, yeah, I mean it. The house is yours. The Lord told me to give it to you. So here these, this couple were were out of everything, you know, wondering where in the world they were going to live and so on and so forth, and God had prepared a place for them. They were a couple of faith, too. They had faith in the Lord. And um, I tell you, it's just awesome how God provided for them, and he provided for us. You know, at the time, I was I was working for Exxon, and um, we actually had a had a church out there at Exxon. It was a, a fantastic church. I mean, we had people from all different religions, and um, they were coming together at the at the lunch break to share the word and to uh, pray for the sick. And we had all kinds of miracles and wondrous things happened. It was just awesome. But one day, when it was getting time for us to move over to Florida here. And at the same time, Exxon did offer early retirement to company people, just exactly like I had been telling all my friends there for six or seven years. He did offer early retirement, and um, and I knew I was going to take it already because God had prepared me. And all these people came to me and said, well, you said this was going to happen, you know. And I said, yeah, because the Lord told me. And... um and also, uh, Ricky's dream about the, the, uh, pension, you see. So, it was a good witness to, especially the pagans around me, because I told them it was coming and it did come. They wanted to get in, uh, contract labor instead of company employees, which were more expensive to them with benefits and all these things, you see. So, so anyway, um, I took their early retirement and they were sending me a lump sum, and at the same time, this is what happened. I agreed with our assembly there that God was going to give me a house since I hadn't saved any money. Uh, God was going to give me a house and give me a car because my car was kind of uh, in that situation where we, we were needing another one in Florida. I agreed in faith according to Matthew 18 and 19. You know the Bible says if if any two of you agree as touching anything, it shall be done by our Father in heaven. And we agreed in faith that God would do this. Now, I knew that these people weren't in any position to provide me for that, and I wouldn't have accepted it from them anyway. That's why I agreed with them. You don't agree with people that can, you know, as a matter of graft, you know, to, to force them to have pity on you and give to you. Didn't accept any money from anybody there. But we agreed for this one week, and let me tell you, one week later, from the time we agreed on that, one week later, my wife was driving down Florida Boulevard in Baton Rouge, and it was at Christmas time, and 
Actually, there was a vehicle in front of her. It was a, a big Cadillac, and she was in a Toyota. My wife and my daughter were in this Toyota. The Cadillac was coming to a stop behind some other people, and my wife was stopping. And then there was a man behind her in a big Lincoln that evidently was window shopping and uh, didn't see him and slammed into my wife and slammed her into the Cadillac in front. Well, you get a Toyota between a Cadillac and a Lincoln, you ain't got much of a Toyota left, you know? So, so basically, my wife was slightly injured and my daughter was slightly injured, nothing that the Lord couldn't take care of. And, um, the man, they actually had to get the jaws of life and pry the car open to get him out of the car, you know, because it was just totally crumpled. Well, the man behind her in the Lincoln, he, he runs up alongside of my wife and he looks in the window and he says, listen, don't worry about a thing. I'm going to take care of everything. <laughs> well, to make a long story short, um, this man was, was the president of a big warehouse corporation there in Baton Rouge and, um, his, uh, corporation was self-insured. They made that much money, and he had something like 100, 300, and 100 uh, insurance on his vehicle, you know, way above the norm. And uh, the man was very repentant. And I don't even think the man was a Christian, but he was very, very sorry for what he had done. And um, and so he kept contacting us over the time, over a short period of time. He kept contacting us. He said, look, he says, um, um, we're self-insured. He says, it's nothing to worry about. I'll talk to the people. It will be taken care of. You will be taken care of. You know, can you imagine running into, or having somebody like that run into you a week after you've agreed for enough money to buy a house and to uh, buy a car? Well, to make a long story short, they very quickly replaced our Toyota with a better, newer one, and um, they put the wheels in progress to give us a, a lump sum to uh, take care of my wife and daughter and to, you know, for any for any pain and grief that we went through. And um, lo and behold, it was astounding because the money came in from that. Now, we didn't sue anybody. We weren't planning to sue anybody, and we don't do that anyway. We don't believe in that. We believe in turning the other cheek and resisting not the evil and um, not doing such things. But anyway, the um, the money came in from that at the same time, or at least the first installment, which was pretty big, came in from that. At the same time, the money came in from Exxon, the the, um, the year's severance pay, at the exact same time. The money came in at the exact same time. Like God had planned the whole thing, which, of course, he had. <laughs> He had planned the whole thing. And uh, so anyway, we, we knew it was time. We came over. We started. Actually, we came over a little bit early. You know how sometimes the Lord waits to see if you're going to get out there in the flesh before sometimes he answers. So we came over a little early. We started looking around. We were kind of curious, you know, and we didn't see anything. We went back home. We started crying out to the Lord, okay, Lord, we know this is the time. We know, you know, it's coming, and so on and so forth. And so we, we waited, and the Lord sent us the next time. And we had a uh, we had a Christian realtor over here in Pensacola looking around for us. In fact, we described the house to him because we'd already seen it in dreams and visions and things. I'd seen the house under 
these great big oak trees, which is where we are right now, these big monster oaks. And um, so we tried to describe it to this man, and he was just looking all over Pensacola, you know. And finally one day, in a little bit of frustration after having sought the Lord, I uh, stopped the man and I said, look, let's let's get your map out. So we got his, his map out. We stretched it out on the hood of his car. And I said, listen, this is where the house is right here. And I wasn't even looking where I was pointing, folks, but I stuck my finger down on this map. And he and he looked at where my finger was. He said, okay, we'll go there and look. <laughs> well, I said, this is where the house is right here. And uh, as we were looking, I told the man just exactly how much we were going to pay for the house. He said, okay. He wasn't used to this. But um, he he drove us through this area right here where we are, where we bought. And we passed by right after the lady of this house went out and stuck the sign in the ground. Literally, for sale by owner. And since this was a realtor and it was a for sale by owner, he was just driving right on by. But I had my pad and pencil out, and I wrote down the phone number. And um, uh, I want to tell you that the man had done a good job looking for the house and all that, and he was a good a Christian man and so on, and, and we actually gave him his commission. You know, even though we, we paid for the house, it was for sale by owner, we just gave him his commission because he was a good Christian man, and he, he worked for his... Uh, is due, and we figured we'd give it to him anyway, you know. He told us, he said, man, I could have never found you a deal like this, you know. Um, we, I knew what I was going to pay for the house. It was a strange situation. I told the lady, I said, look, I, I knew what I was going to pay, but I offered her a 1000 less because some people like to haggle. That's what I felt to do. I offered her a 1000 less, and she says, well, I don't know. I, you know, I, and I said, well, I'll tell you what. I said, I said, leave the curtains, which I knew she was planning on doing anyway. So you leave the curtains, and I'll give you this much, which was the amount the Lord told me. And she said, okay. <laughs> you know, so I said, well, praise the Lord, you know. So, you know, this lady had been witness to uh, one of her relatives runs uh, or is the pastor of a, a large uh, full gospel church here in town. And he had been witnessing to her, and a lot of people had. She was a Baptist lady. And uh, when we came here, um, she had a problem with her eyes. And um, so we just asked her, I said, will you let us pray for you? Will you let us uh, lay hands on you and pray for you for those eyes so God will heal them? And I pointed out some verses to her and so on and so forth. And she said, well, I don't know so much about that laying on of hands stuff, I said, but it's she said, but uh, I would like you to pray for me. I said, okay, we'll pray for you without the laying on of hands. <laughs> so so we prayed for her, and God healed her. And uh, she was just jubilant, you know, that to come to find out that God would do this for her, you know. I mean, obviously her doctrine didn't really permit that kind of a, a miraculous healing. She didn't really believe in those kinds of miraculous healings. But... Um, but she got a miraculous healing, and she, her eyes got suddenly open to the full gospel. The thing was that um, we weren't 
we we had to move in, and she wasn't ready to move out for another week, so she lived with us for a week. So we got to share with her, you know, about this, and um, we had all, our stuff all piled up on one end of the house, and we were kind of living together like that, so on and so forth, and we got to witness to her, and um, and so finally we had the house to ourselves. But you see, God did a miracle. It was through weakness that we got this miracle. God paid for it. We didn't pay for anything. The money he gave us was enough to buy the house and to buy a new car because um, um, our, our small car was a Toyota and it was good for doing small jobs and stuff, but we had five kids. <laughs> so we bought a brand new large station wagon, which which God did many miracles on that station wagon for us, you know, over the years. But the miracle was that God paid for both of these. We didn't have any money. We didn't save any money. We continued to give all of our life to any need that came our way. Whenever we saw a need, we gave to it. We didn't believe in storing up our treasures on earth, so we saved up no money in the bank. We did what Luke 12 says, which is um, give alms, make for yourselves purses which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, faileth not. You see... When you store up your treasures in heaven by meeting the needs of the brethren, you can always get it back. It faileth not. I tell you, we did that for many years. Many years, I had a, I made a very good living, and I met the needs of the brethren around me. Whenever I saw a need, I would take care of it. By the grace of God, he put that in my heart. I read the word day and night, and, you know, the word gets in your heart, folks. You read the Word of God, and, and you love the Word of God, and you love to act and live on the Word of God, it'll get into you. And it won't be a burden to do things. It'll just come natural to you, because that's Jesus in you. The Word in you is Jesus in you, you see. And so we just gave to everything we saw. We didn't save up any money. We didn't borrow any money. That was out of the question for us who walked by faith, was to borrow money. And even today, you know, we haven't, I haven't in over 30 years borrowed any money. But you know what? Because I give, the money's always there when I need it. It didn't matter if I needed to buy a car or what I needed to buy. If I needed to buy a house for someone else. I've bought, um, I think, three trailers for homeless people since I've been here in uh, Pensacola. And if I needed the money, God would send it. And uh, as I told you, uh, last time, the Lord taught me uh, never to borrow, never to tell my needs, never to take any government help, don't go, don't go into business buying and selling. One of the things Ricky in his dream said, I told him when I walked when he walked up to me, literally, I, I told him, I said, I'm never going to work for man again. And it was true. I, I worked for Exxon, but um, when I retired from there, I never worked for man again. Uh, everybody has to work. The Bible says if a man don't work, he don't eat. So I have worked diligently for the Lord and still do. But um, I've never been a burden on people. I made sure of that and never made my needs known. But God, you know, put it in people's hearts to to uh, meet our needs when uh, we were working for him. Okay? I don't believe in mooching. <laughs> we used to, we, we've always called it down south, mooching. Okay? I don't believe in that. It's wrong. It's evil. And if you're walking by faith, God's going to support you. 
and and uh, he supports those who work for him. You know, I was like the Apostle Paul in a way because in First Corinthians, Apostle Paul um, worked for a living while he ministered, and it was that way for the first part of my ministry. I worked for many years while I ministered, but by Second Corinthians came around, it seemed very clear that Paul was receiving free will offerings from brethren so that he could continue on with his ministering and not be distracted by any work. So so basically, um, basically I learned to walk by faith, and in that weakness, God was miraculous. I tell you, people don't get to see the miracles of God because they're not weak. They're always strong to go and do for themselves. It's kind of salvation by works. I think I pointed out here a week or two ago that um, the salvation is used in the Bible many different ways. The verb is sozo, and um, soteria, salvation, is the noun. And sozo is used all through the Bible for all kinds of being saved. You know, for instance, uh, when Jesus healed the sick, it said they were made whole. The world word there is sozo. When he healed the sick, you know, when he delivered people from demons, they were sozoed. Uh, when the disciples were in the boat and the boat was sinking, they said, sozo, Lord, <laughs> save us, Lord. See, salvation is very, very big, folks. Jesus saved us from sin and its curse. Sin and its curse. And uh, did you know in the, in the scriptures, poverty is a curse? Unless it's a sacrificial, self-imposed poverty for the sake of others, it's a curse. How many of you know that Jesus wasn't uh, poverty-stricken? He had his me- needs met everywhere he went. Now, he didn't have riches the way the world likes riches, so you can trust in your riches and so that you can love the things of the world. He didn't have that. But he had his needs met wherever he went, and so did his disciples. They weren't poor. But they were poor to the world. But the Bible says, didn't God choose the poor of the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? You know why? People that are poor to the world, they can trust in God. They're rich in faith because they know God will meet their needs. And I don't care if it's a house or a car or whatever you need. If you will obey God's principles there and get out from under the world and the worldly teachings of the Babylonish church and begin to obey the principles that Jesus gave us in the New Testament, especially given to your brothers in need when you see a need, then God will make sure that you don't ever have a need. Did you hear what I said? You make sure your brother's needs are met, you know, sacrificially out of what you have, and God will make sure that you don't ever have a need. He will meet your need. He will provide your every need according to his riches and glory. And uh, Paul said that because his needs have been met by these people, and he made that promise to them in the Lord. Well, anyway, in our weakness, I mean, we'd even lost a car, been injured, didn't have any money, in our weakness, God was made strong. And we didn't have to sell or borrow or beg or do anything of the sort. Just all, all we did was give. And I, I'm not preaching this so that you give to me, because I don't really care if you give to me. 
Honestly, I'm telling you the truth. I, you, this, I know it doesn't sound like a preacher over here, does it? Okay? But I don't really care if you give to me or not. I'm, I'm telling you, I don't trust in what men can give to me. I trust in what God can give to me. The reason we're on this broadcast is because God gave to me. And he'll continue to do it as long as he wants this broadcast on. So I'm not saying this to you to make you feel sorry for me or give to me. I want you to walk in the blessings that I have walked in. And God will do that for you if you start living according to his principles that are written in that word instead of Babylon's ideas. And you know, uh, the second part of that money that came in from the wreck, it kind of delayed and it delayed. And you know what happened? God made an opportunity for me to give my station wagon away. The first one, the one that I had when I was in Baton Rouge, to give it away. I gave it away to a a mission that was here in town that I'd preached in quite a few times. And um, they needed some way to haul around the, the people in the mission. And one of the amazing things about that car is God blessed me with that car. I never had any problems with that car. We prayed for a car. My my youngest daughter had a vision of this car in New Orleans. And... Um, Saw the color of the car and everything, and I and sure enough, I couldn't find anything in Baton Rouge that I liked, and I went to New Orleans and saw the car and, and bought it. And God blessed me with that car, and I gave it to this this minister, you know. And and literally, I never put any spares in that car because I was trusting God to keep my tires. And the day I put the keys in the preacher's hand in my living room here, we walked outside. It had a flat. I never had a flat as long as I had that car because I never had a spare. But as soon as it got out of my hand and into his, we had a flat. You know, I was just thinking, I, I mentioned uh, New Orleans there. Think about what happened there, folks. Just think about what happened. I mean, God brought a Category 5 hurricane up to that big sin city. And I'm not saying anything that hadn't happened to Pensacola over here, folks. We had Ivan over here. And it uh, destroyed a lot of this city. It didn't get me, but it destroyed a lot of this city. So I'm not saying anything. I mean, this is also a sin city. But anyway, you brought that hurricane up to that big sin city, a Category 5. He, just as it was about to hit land, he sent in a um, a wave of dry air from the northwest that suddenly knocked that hurricane down to a Category 3. And that same gust of um, dry air pushed the hurricane to the east. You know, a Category 5, where that thing was about to hit, would have driven the waters of Lake Pontchartrain over into the city and drowned know, 40,000, 50,000 people because the water would have come in there so fast. Think about man's efforts to save themselves, that levee. Think about those great big monster pumps that they have in that city to pump that city out. They thought they could keep that city dry. Had a Category 5 hit that city or even a Category 3 would have hit it head on and not moved a little bit. It would have pumped the water over in there so fast See, most of New Orleans is 20 foot below sea level. Some of it's more than 20 foot below sea level. And the water of, 
of a shallow lake like Pontchartrain would have been pushed right over in there on them. What chance did man have to save himself from one, just one, of God's natural things like a hurricane? You know, as it was, he didn't let the city escape even after moving the hurricane over a little bit, the levees got saturated and gave out, and the city started filling up with water. So, the, but it was slower. It's like was like an hour, uh, a foot an hour, or something like that, giving people time, you know, to to move out of the way and so on. Except for the very lowest part of the city, obviously, but they weren't. They didn't get out quick enough. But, but. Uh, that was astounding. The mercy of God saved those people. I mean, the meteorologists who looked, and I, I mean, they, uh, they pointed it out on radar and everything that happened there, how this, this, this gust of dry air came in there and moved it. And they were amazed at it. They were totally amazed at it. They'd never seen anything like that. And I hadn't either. That was an act of God that spared them. They couldn't have saved themselves. Even with all of their efforts, all of these years, the city of New Orleans has lived um, below sea level, right there on the sea with their levees, and all the time they knew that if a major hurricane hit them, that city was going to be drowned. And so God didn't spare the city, but he spared an awful lot of people. Now, they're going to find thousands of people dead there. But I can tell you there's a lot of brethren there, too, that have been spared, just like brethren here in Pensacola were spared Ivan. When they prayed to the Lord and trusted in the Lord, they were spared. Many, many people spared over here got good testimonies, wonderful testimonies, because of the power of God and because of their faith. Now, I tell you, there were some people with faith there in New Orleans that were, no doubt, praying to God at the last moment when that hurricane suddenly dropped down and suddenly moved over. Did you know we just had a hurricane did exactly that here in Pensacola? Hurricane Dennis. And you know, I was praying the whole time. I was saying, Lord, do you want me to command that hurricane to, to back off and go the other way? And the Lord said, nope, just, just wait, just wait, just wait. And I didn't do anything. You know, the Lord in the past has, has in some cases done that with us, but I didn't do anything. And all of a sudden, when it hit the land, the Lord, I felt in my heart that the Lord wanted me to Commanded to be broken up, and you know what? That's when it started breaking up right there. It uh, it suddenly dropped down, the strength dropped down. It started breaking up, and it it veered a little bit to the right of uh, Pensacola. And that's I know that there were some people over there in New Orleans that were doing the exact same thing, and God answered the exact same way. Now Bill, he was over there in the east, so he didn't it it caught. He's over there laughing, but. Uh, the thing was that I sent that hurricane right over there towards him. <laughs> no, no, God has it all planned out. He just uses our faith to bring it to pass. But we can put our trust in the living God, and nothing that man can do will save you in the things that are coming, folks. The wilderness is where you learn to walk by faith in the Lord. You learn to put your faith in Him, and you give up your efforts and your power and your ability to do anything. Obviously, the, the promises of God are past tense, friends. He, he became a curse for you. He bore your curse. He healed your body. I've got a lot more miracles I'm going to share with you 
in the next uh, couple of weeks probably. But he already did all this. They're all past tense. And since all these promises are past tense and, and he taught us that when you pray, believe you have received, if you believe you have received, what can you do to bring something to pass? Nothing. See, the promises make us weak. The promises, if we really do believe them, they bring us into a position of weakness where we can't save ourselves. Now, you hear the old saying, God helps them that helps themselves. Well, that's a lie. The power of God is made perfect in weakness. That's what he told Paul. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul couldn't save himself in those situations that he got into. But he said, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. In his weakness, God's power was made perfect. I want to say, keep the Sabbath, folks. Don't bring a burden into God's holy city on this Sabbath. Cease from your own works, in other words. Cease from the works of man. Like God told Moses and the children of Israel, stand as still and see the salvation of the Lord. Stand still. They were all trying to figure out what to do. Here's Pharaoh's army coming up behind them. They'd have never thought about parting the Red Sea. They never would have thought about that. See, God got ways far beyond our ways. They would have never thought about that. That's why you had to tell them, you stand still. After they stood still, it's the same for us, folks. We, sometimes we're just so so busy running around trying to figure out a way out of this. We've been trained that way from our youth to solve our problems for ourselves, you know. And God wants us to be believers in these promises. Get your Bible out. Go diligently read it. Underline these promises, learn these promises, and start acting on them. Faith without works is dead. Start acting on it. If, you, if Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four, all things you pray and ask for, believe you received, past tense, literally, them, and you shall have them, how would you act if you believed you had received what you prayed for? How would you act? Well, I'll tell you how you'd act. You'd quit trying to bring it to pass for yourself. You'd cease from your own labors. And if you cease from your own labors on his Sabbath, you will find God's power is made perfect. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh 
Jesus. 